So I've entitled this message, Joyful Surrender, and that can be a bit of an oxymoron for some, uh, because how can surrender be joyful? And for many people, surrender isn't joyful. In fact, I don't think there are many occurrences where you can think of it as a joyful occasion. But for a believer, it is joyful. But maybe it has something to do with the fact that the Lord has called us to have dominion over the earth. We have this natural, innate sense that we need to have dominion. We need to have ownership of things. We need to move. We need to, to be doing things. We need to be creating. We need to be moving in what we're doing. There needs to be dominion. Or maybe it's that in today's day and age, even our phones have the word I in them. We're very self-focused. We place ourselves at the center. But it's only when we surrender to God that we will truly have dominion. Surrender is a very painful thing, and it's actually a military term, and I want to read to you the definition. It says to stop resisting an enemy or opponent and submit to the authority. But you see, as I said just now, that the surrender of a believer is joyful. Here is why it's joyful, because it's only when we stop resisting the Lord's plan and we choose to submit to his authority that, our, that God's plan for our lives begin to happen. It's only when we choose to do that that we have true joy. And we know this very famous scripture, Matthew 6.33. We quite enjoy this scripture because it says that all those things shall be added to us. That's the part we focus on. But before that, it tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. There needs to be a pursuit. There needs to be a surrender. We need to surrender the desires of earthly life so that we can live in the victory of spiritual life. I'm gonna repeat that because I find that it's very important. We need to surrender the desires of the earthly life so we can live in the victory of the spiritual life. We truly experience the life and life in abundance that Jesus came to give us as we find in John 10 verse 10, only when we surrender. And in fact, it is surrender that brings us to life Ephesians 2 verse 1 tells us that. And he made, and, he, and you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. It's only when we come alive to him through surrender that we experience the true joy, the true life. And it's in this new way of living that we experience this joy. And it's in this way of living that's not focused on ourselves, but focused on the Lord that we begin to have that abundant life. So my first point is, it's surrender, not addition. And if you haven't turned to Galatians 2 yet, please turn to Galatians 2, and we're gonna be reading from verse 20. And I'm gonna be reading from the New King James Version. And in, in this passage, it starts and it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When I read this scripture, I realize the magnitude of surrender. Surrender is not a small thing. Surrender is not something that we do haphazardly or casually. The magnitude of surrender implies that we no longer live ourselves for ourselves any longer. But when we surrender to Christ, it also implies that we don't live by ourselves 
any longer either. Because as it says, but Christ lives in me. He changes both the reason we live as well as how we live. He gives us purpose and he changes our purpose. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Can we truly say that? Can we wholeheartedly say, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me? And I understand that if you read the preceding verses, you'll see that Paul is really speaking about how he's no longer needing, he doesn't need the law to come to Christ. He doesn't need the law for salvation. It's as a result of the finished work of the cross that there's a salvation and we can step into life and life in abundance. I understand that, but the reality is this. Are you dead to whatever you've tried to use to justify yourself and earn favor with the Lord? Because so many times we use other things. We try to come to Christ through what we feel is good. But we need to understand that it's not out of our goodness that we come to Him, it's out of His. And whatever it may be that you try to justify yourself with, whatever it may be that you try to, to use so that you can come to Christ and, you, and feel like you are worthy, whatever that is, it will not give you everlasting life. And in fact, it will be the very thing that keeps you from experiencing everlasting life. Because the, the thing is, is we don't add God to our lives, we submit to Him. And when we submit to Him, that's when we experience his life. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Since we died on the cross with Christ, that's essentially what we're saying, we have a different life. And our old life under that way, under the law, no longer exists. But in fact, now we live this new life in Christ Jesus, under the power of Christ Jesus, with Christ Jesus, and the anointing of His Holy Spirit, and His Spirit leads us and guides us. His Spirit teaches us and affirms us, reminds us of things. But we can only do that if we truly surrender. Paul realized that. He realized that on the cross, there was this great exchange that occurred, that his old life was given to Christ. His life of death, Jesus took that death. He took your death, he took my death. And with this great exchange, now he has the life of Christ. And he can now manage this new life. And he says, and Paul is basically trying to say that he took his try to be right before God by the law kind of life. And it was crucified on the cross. And because it was crucified on the cross, he now belonged to Christ. But something more occurred. He realized that he no, he no longer had ownership. And we no longer have ownership of our life when we come to Christ. And this is a good thing, and it's therein that lies the joy. It's from there that we can experience the true freedom of Christ. And instead of clamoring for something more, and instead of not knowing what that may be, I have a few people that I know that sometimes I look at their life and I so wish that they would come to Christ. Because I see how it's, it's money and status and, and, and things that consume their mind. And I see how they're always pushing for the next thing. They think that if they get that big deal, they think that if they get that, that next house, they think that if they get that car, they think that if they get the whatever earthly position it is, they think that when they achieve that, that they'll experience fulfillment. But what they do not know is that actually they're in pursuit of God without realizing they're pursuing God. 
They don't know that they're looking for him, but they want him. And it's only when we understand that it's in the pursuit of God that we experience true joy and true life that we'll experience that abundant life. And maybe you're saying, I know all of this, and maybe you know the Bible very well, and you're asking, so what now? Ephesians 2 verses 8, and 10, 8 through to 10 say this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So in the scripture in Galatians, we do see that Paul realized this. He, he realized that he, he needs to live a new life and he can only manage the life he's been given. But I want to show and confirm to you with this scripture in Ephesians, that not only is it that we, and, and even in Galatians, he says he lives this life by faith. In, in Ephesians, it shows us that this faith, that we've been, it's been given to us. It's not even mustered from within us. So we are saved by grace, but we are given through grace the empowerment of faith. And because of that faith, we can live that life. But we need to daily surrender. Surrender to him. It is given to us. And we need to understand that the end result isn't coming into the kingdom. The end result is living out the very kingdom. We don't just, it, the, the cross, although for us, was not only for us. When we come into right standing with Christ, what happens is that our life must impact other people. Our lives are no longer for ourselves and they're not our own anymore. And this is actually a joyful thing because inside of each person, there's this desire, this desire to do and be part of something larger than ourselves. And it's only in Christ that we can experience that desire. It's only through Christ that we can experience the fulfillment of that need. Our faith needs to extend further than ourselves. And our relationship with Christ isn't actually about us, but our relationship with Jesus should define everything about us. We've been reading through First Peter as a church, and this is a book of action, but it's not, not a book of action to attain salvation. It's a book of action saying, because of salvation, this is how you live. We cannot live this way unless we are fully surrendered. God must be on the throne of our heart. He's not an addition. And to try and to add him to our life, I want to say is something of a, it's of a huge disrespect to the enormity, the value of who God is, his person. And we need to understand that it is with holy reverence that we bow before him. And it is with holy reverence that we no longer live for ourselves. And as a result of that, it's not that we learn to clap loudly at church and maybe raise our hands and perhaps even pray boldly at life group. And perhaps people may know that by the use of your language at, at work, you're not to be sworn around. It's not only that, it's so much more than that. It is as a result of the finished work of the cross and his life in us that we actually change that around us. 
It is as a result of His Holy Spirit that the physical atmosphere can change around us. It's as a result of who He is inside of us, Christ alive in me, that we can go out into the world wherever we are in all relationships with all people at all times and we can effect a change in their lives. But it's only if we're a living sacrifice and it's only if we have truly surrendered. So my next point is re-surrender, and um, this next scripture verse that I want to read to you is something that's always intrigued me. Most people focus on the first half of this scripture verse. It's found in Exodus 33, and it's verse 11, and in this first half, it shows how Moses was face-to-face with God, and he spoke face-to-face with God, and that is an amazing thing. And his face even shone, It, it was radiant as a result of those encounters. So it says, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But this is the part I want to focus on. But his servant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. He lingered. He lingered in his presence, just as we did a moment ago. We lingered. How regularly do you linger? Do you desire to linger? Do you crave to be in his presence and read his word? That no matter how long you stay, you wish you could stay longer. As you read God's word, does it feel like the chapters go by too quickly or too slowly? We need to crave his presence, crave who he is. And isn't it something that Joshua was the person who then took over? Isn't it something that it wasn't anyone else? And there are many practical reasons why this was the case. But I want to submit to you that I think the largest reason was his heart for the Lord. So many times we stay in a place of waiting, not because we're not the right person for the job, but because we're waiting on the wrong person. Wait on the Lord not on your talent, your boss, or your plan. Just as Joshua did, linger, crave, be still, wait. Wait on him, because the person you wait on is the person who empowers you. And when you wait on yourself, it's in your own strength that you're doing things. When you wait on your boss, it's only through the authority that your boss has at your work that that you're able to go further. But when you wait on God, God himself, God Almighty, it is he who leads you, guides you, strengthens you, empowers you. Joshua's desire for God and to be in his presence is something that we can learn a tremendous deal from. Because to surrender is not just to say, I give you authority, but actually to live that out. To love God, to spend time with God, and to wish to please him. And because of how the Lord loves us, he never forces us. And it's as a result of that that we need to continually re-surrender. We need to continually submit ourselves to God. We have to say that I no longer oppose your plans for my life and I submit to your authority. We must choose to daily live a life of surrender. We must choose to submit. We need to walk that journey. 
And I want to give you a statement that might help you understand how to daily surrender. The process of surrendering daily requires us to do this one thing, and if we do this one thing, the other things will come. It is to remember who Christ is and respond to who he is. Because when we understand that it is God Almighty, creator God, someone bigger than we could ever imagine, more powerful than we could ever imagine, that everything ever created fits into the palm of his hands, it becomes that little bit easier to surrender. We need to understand that we don't simply add God to our lives. We bow, we repent. He places us in his kingdom. We're on his team, not the other way around. This process of picking up our cross daily is found in Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25, and this process requires this, discipline, dedication, humility, and grace. A.W. Tozer says this, if we cooperate with God in loving obedience, God will manifest, manifest himself to us, and that manifestation will be the difference between a nominal Christian life and a life radiant with the light of his face. I want to kind of draw this parallel that Tozer is speaking about and what happened with Moses as a result of being face to face with God, his face shone. You know, when we are face to face with God, what happens is something else changes, it changes, he changes us and that moment changes us and we cannot help but be radiant with his life. Tozer goes on to say that the disciples lived a radiant life, so much so that it was completely different to what the people that, the Christians in his time did. And I would actually submit that maybe it includes us too. And the reason that he said that the disciples were so different to, to the, the Christians that he was seeing around himself was that they made it a habit to respond to the Holy Spirit. It is only when it becomes a habit to respond to his presence and to respond to his spirit that we respond in the right way and that we can truly be the light in those situations. Because otherwise, we're just trying to do it in our own strength. We need to, in loving obedience, which is submission to God, surrender our lives to him. And when we do that, we will experience the manifest power of the Lord in our lives. And please don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we seek only what his Holy Spirit does. But as we seek his face, we will see his hand at work. And we must seek his face continually. And the disciples, this, were, this is what was said, it was a complaint about the disciples. In Acts 17 verse six, it says, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. There was power in their lives, and this power did not come from them. It came as a result of submission, surrender, and loving God. Has your world been turned upside down? It is only when our world is turned upside down by God that we can go and continue to turn the world upside down. And actually, it's right side up, but the world experiences it as upside down. But it's only when we choose to daily surrender our lives to Christ. It is only when we say, your will, not mine, be done. It's only when we say, I don't understand, but I choose to obey anyway, that we can start to see 
the Lord's hand truly at work in our lives. This life requires discipline of reading God's word daily, dedication of implementing what his word says, and the humility to submit to the Lord's will, especially when it goes against our own will. There will be many times, but none of this can happen if we don't love the Lord. It's in loving obedience, in loving submission, that this happens. And we need to remember that it's through his grace he empowers us, just as Ephesians 2 says, that we can then say what it says in Galatians 2, that it is Christ who lives in me. When we submit to him, he moves more powerfully than we can imagine. Now, my question to you is this. Do you yearn to see the Lord move in your life? Do you truly yearn it? And I think at some level, we all yearn it to some degree, but do you yearn it more than breathing? Because when we yearn for the Lord more than breathing, something changes in our life. And we don't always, we're not always all, all there, but if you're not there, ask the Lord today and say, I would like to be there. I want to surrender to you wholeheartedly with everything that I am and not depend on something to try and earn me salvation with you. And I truly understand that it's through you and only you, Jesus Christ. So what if it means taking more time to be with the Lord and perhaps even losing sleep to do so? What if it means choosing to be quiet when you spend that time with the Lord? What if it means to stand up for what is right in a difficult situation? Or speaking to someone despite your insecurities? What if it means that when you go out to the stores, you look and you wait for there to be someone that you can minister to? What if it means that when you go out to the stores, it's not just going out to the stores? What if every moment of every day could be a moment of ministry? What if it means that you have decided to give your life for that ministry so that others can experience Jesus. And while preparing, these were the three words that I felt to summarize this point would be prayer, dedication, and transformation. Smith Wigglesworth says, I don't often spend more than half an hour in prayer at one time, but I never go more than half an hour without praying. And that's a, a tall task to follow. But I can confirm it to you through scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18 say this. Say this, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Spurgeon says, I know of no better thermometer to your spiritual temperature than this, the measure of intensity of your prayer. And that requires dedication. In James 1 verse 22, it says we need to be doers of the word, not simply hearers of the word, or else we deceive ourselves. And here's the reality. The reality is if you only hear God's word and you never apply it to your life, you're only deceiving yourself. In Matthew 25 verses one to four, it starts, uh, it starts giving us, well in 25, I'm gonna read one to four, it starts giving us the story of the, the wise and the foolish virgins, but verses one to four say this, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. 
but the wise took oil in their vessel with their lamps. It requires dedication to seek the Lord. It requires a time of infilling daily. It requires that we never leave home with our lamps empty. Because it ends in this parable saying, watch therefore, for you know, you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Our life is no longer our own. In Romans 12, verses one and two, it speaks about the transformation of our minds and the living sacrifice that we need to leave, uh, uh, live. But it starts with these two words, I beseech. And that means sweet nothing to most people nowadays. So I'm gonna change it so that you understand a little bit more clearly what he's saying. He's going, I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And then when we read that, we go, wow, that's a tall order. And he continues later on and says, it is your reasonable service. It is a tall order, but it's our reasonable service that we do not be conformed to this world, but we be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that only happens when we truly surrender to the Lord. And I wanna give you an image, it's an image that, it's a prophetic word that someone received and they wrote it uh, in one of their books and he asked the Lord to give him an image of what does the church look like today and, and what does he need to share with the church. And what he immediately saw was that he was in a small little rowboat and he was rowing upstream. And as he was rowing, he would sometimes get tired because it's difficult to row against the stream. And then as he did this, he would then take times of rest, but whenever that happened, the boat would then go backwards, going back downstream. Then he saw while he was rowing, there was another boat, also smallish, but it could take more people, and they invited him on board, and they were going in the same direction, they were going upstream. And there they, they would row, and they would take turns, and they would rest, and they would eat, and they would uh, be in community with one another, and while he was there, he saw a cruise ship that was facing downstream, and it was going downstream. And as it was going downstream, he saw that everyone on this cruise ship was having a really good time. And he asked the Lord, why are they enjoying themselves if they're going, going in the opposite direction where you're telling me to? And the Lord told him, that's the world. They're going downstream. And he showed him that at the end there is actually a waterfall that they're gonna fall down if they keep going that way. They continued rowing, and then as they continued rowing, they saw another cruise ship, but this cruise ship was different. They were still enjoying themselves, they were enjoying themselves a little differently, but it was facing upstream, but it was still going downstream. And he asked the Lord, what does this, what does this have to mean? Why, why is this cruise ship facing upstream but going downstream? And the Lord told him that these are people who think that serve me. They do not live a surrendered life. And it is with the relentless pursuit of God that we should be living our life as we offer up our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord, applying his word to our life and knowing that it is only when we are completely surrendered to God and God Almighty, Jesus Christ, Lord of all, that we can live a life that goes upstream honoring him. That life that proves the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, as it says in Romans 12 verse two. So as I recap, essentially what I'm saying in the first one is that we do need to surrender, but not just part of our lives, but we need to then continually surrender all of our lives, all the time in relentless pursuit of God Almighty, 
And in my third point, entitled Send Me, is that we, as we realize that our life is no longer our own, we need to understand that the single greatest, most important thing in our lives is not our own life, but it is a person and his name is Jesus. And that as a result of that, there's a natural outflow that happens in our life. So I wanna get a little bit practical with you on this. Imagine there's been something that you've been trusting for. There's a dream that you've had. Maybe from when you were very young. You've been working at it. You've been doing all the right things so that you can attain this dream. And one day it happens, and say that day is today. What do you do? Do you keep quiet about it? Do you decide you're not gonna tell anyone about it? Do you say to yourself, I'm not even gonna smile too much so that people don't ask me what it is? Why am I smiling this much? No, in today's day and age, if there's no photo or video, it basically didn't happen. <laughs> Everyone shares everything, including their meals. So, <laughs> why then do we keep Jesus the biggest kept secret in our lives? Why do people say, my faith is personal? Our faith is personal in that we all have a relationship with God, but our faith is not personal in that we should hide it. When we come to Christ, the best thing that could ever happen has happened. Why are we not shouting it from the rooftops? Why in every interaction are we not sharing that? And why wouldn't we choose to dedicate our life to how he ch shows us to live it? We have this example, we have many examples, but the prime example is Jesus Christ. And this is what another person said about this. It's, it's Paul, and I want, to, I want to ask you this question before I say what he said. I want to ask you, will you would you be able to, uh, to say what Paul said? And Paul says this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And Jesus Christ is our ultimate example of how we should be living our life. Can we say that? Matthew 28, Verses 18 to 20 say this. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of this age. In Mark 16, it also has the Great Commission, but it's got, it's got a portion that I want to read to you, and it's from verse 17 through to 18, and it says, and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. In these scriptures, we find what has been come to be called the Great Commission. It is not the great suggestion, nor is it the great encouragement. It is a command, because Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Spurgeon says, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And the reality is some people are called to far off places and some people are called to the workplace 
Maybe you're called to where you currently work. Some people are called to the home. What we need to understand is that in every area of our lives, we should always be displaying Jesus. But we don't do that in our own strength. We do that, why? Because Christ lives in me. The Great Commission is a call to share with others the truth, and it is the truth that sets them free. His name is Jesus Christ. But I want to give you a statement that might help you understand it a little bit better. The Great Commission is a command by Jesus so that more people will know Jesus. And if we don't live our lives sharing that which we have received, how can we expect others to receive at all? In Mark, we see the signs of a believer. The one sign is spiritual authority. The next is that we would speak in new tongues. The third is that we will experience protection. And the fourth is that we will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. There will be a manifestation of the Lord's power. What, how could we do any of that if our salvation were only for ourselves? Our salvation is not only for ourselves. It does not end with us. It is the gift of a loving relationship with God Almighty, the gift of a true and everlasting life, and that extends further than we can imagine. It is the gift of Christ, of true love. The Great Commission is so that more people can know Jesus, and Jesus has asked each and every one of us to go help more people know Jesus.